Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. So good to, to worship together, huh? From the front, it sounds so great to hear all the music coming that way. Man, how about our worship team, too? What a blessing they are, like, just week after week. They bring us just into a place of worship. They, they serve. So when you see some worship uh, members, some folks you see regularly up here, just remember to say thanks to them for, for serving that way and helping us in worship, huh? We could actually even just give them a little thanks to you guys right now, huh? So this morning, last week we talked about gratitude, and, and we talked a lot about just the, the, the idea of living with gratitude, having a, a gratitude attitude in our lives, and the, and the good things that come from that. And then we also talked about some of the, the problems and the difficulties that, that come our way when we live in ingratitude, when, when we're struggling in that. And so today I wanted to kind of just expand on that a little bit more um, as we're here in this season of, of thankfulness and thanksgiving and all of those kinds of things that, that, you know, it's all fine and good for us to have gratitude when things are going well, right? When, when our life is shaping up and, and things are going the way that we want them to, to go. But it's a whole nother picture when, when it's difficult, when we're faced with difficulties, when we're faced in the middle of struggles or suffering, things aren't going our way. We're having um, just, you know, regardless of what that looks like, it can come in so many forms. But it's really the place where the rubber hits the road when it comes to gratitude. Um, it, it's, that, it's that thing that, that when we can have gratitude in the midst of the storm and in the midst of the struggle, then it, it makes a, a statement to the world around us. It's actually a very profound statement to the world around us. It's a, it, it's a thing that sets Christians apart as, as a rather peculiar people, right? In that, in that they're able to, or we're supposed to be able to praise and have joy in the midst of difficulties and hard times, that we recognize that there's a reality to the life that we live right now, that, that, that life isn't perfect, that this world that we're living in is, is broken and it's bound to bring difficulties and suffering and struggle to us, that there's a reality in our lives that each one of us are going to face loss and difficulties and, and pain. Um, the only way out of that is for us to become someone else's loss, struggle, and pain if we would cease to, to be here. But as long as we're here, there's just this reality that we're living in the midst of a broken world. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this. It says, give thanks in good circumstances um, for the, no, oh, for, no, sorry, in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Okay, so if the worship team would come on up, we'll just, um, we'll call that good right there, and, and we'll go on with it. I've just summed up God's will for you right there, out of God's word. Now, now, isn't that an interesting thing? I mean, because when we start thinking about God's will, we have much more grandiose ideas and thoughts in our minds about what God's will for our life would be. And it doesn't mean that, that God's will for your life isn't very grandiose and, and large. It, it, it can be that. But what it says here is that giving thanks in all circumstances is God's will for our lives. That, that it's, it, it's, it's not this, you know, am, oh God, are you, are you sending me to Africa? Are you sending me to China? Am I gonna, am I gonna you know, uh, translate Bibles into these different ways? Well, maybe. But it's all gonna begin with 
with thankfulness. It's all going to begin with being grateful in all circumstances. I, I think that God is telling us that this is an incredibly transformational part of our lives, that, that, that when we begin to live in this place of gratitude, and especially when we're living in gratitude in the midst of the struggle of life, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our suffering, that there's a profound thing that happens within the human character in this place. The book of Hebrews actually tells us that Jesus was perfected in his suffering. Now, we know he was perfect, right? That he was sinless, that he was absolutely perfect, but he was also human. That God did not sidestep the humanity end of things. And there was something about his humanness that was brought to a place of perfection through his suffering. And and to be honest with you, if God isn't at work in the midst of this suffering, if he's not doing something in the midst of it, if he's not changing us and the world around us, then it's not okay and it's not funny, right? At that point, it becomes incredibly difficult and it becomes mean. So this is a picture of a German concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And this is a place where Corrie Ten Boom and her sister Betsy were taken. They were a Christian family. And, and if you've read the book, Corrie Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place, they were hiding Jewish people from the Nazis. And they were caught doing that. And, and they were sent to the concentration camps as well. And I want to I read you a story, a, a part of, of that story, a little excerpt out of the the book there, and it goes like this. So, Corey and Betsy Timboom were courageous, compassionate Dutch Christians who helped harbor Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II. <clears throat> After the sisters were arrested for doing so, they were imprisoned at Ravensbrück, a German concentration camp. In their barracks, they were shown a series of massive square platforms stacked three levels high and placed so close together that people had to walk single file to pass between them. Rancid straw was scattered over the platforms, which served as communal beds for hundreds of women. Corey and Betsy found they could not sit upright in their own platform without hitting their heads on the deck above them. They lay back, struggling against nausea that swept over them from the reeking straw. Suddenly, Corey started up, striking her head on the cross slats above. Something had bitten her legs. Fleas, she cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Descending from the platform and edging down a narrow aisle, they made their way to a patch of light. Here and here another one, Corey wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how, Betsy said matter-of-factly. It took Corey a moment to realize that her sister was praying. Corey, Betsy then exclaimed excitedly, he's given us the answer before we asked. He always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. Corey checked to make sure no guards were nearby, then drew from a pouch a small Bible she had managed to smuggle into the concentration camp. It was in 1 Thessalonians, she said, finding a passage in the feeble light. Here it is. Comfort the frightened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Betsy interrupted. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this barracks. 
Corey stared at her incredulously, then around at, at the dark, foul-smelling room, such as, she inquired, such as being assigned here together. Corey bit her lip, oh yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. Corey looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all the women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, agreed Betsy. Thank you for every Thank you for the very crowding here, since we're packed so close that many more will hear. She looked at her sister expectantly and prodded Corey. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jam crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy continued on serenely, for the fleas and for... That was too much for Corey. She cut in on her sister. Betsy, there's no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, Betsy corrected. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. So they stood between the stacks of bunks and gave thanks for fleas. Though on that occasion, Corey thought Betsy was surely wrong. As the weeks passed, Betsy's health weakened to the point that rather than needing to go out on work duty each day, she was permitted to remain in the barracks and knit socks together with other seriously ill prisoners. She was a lightning fast knitter and usually had her daily sock quota completed by noon. As a result, she had hours each day she could spend moving from platform to platform, reading the Bible to fellow prisoners. She was able to do this undetected as the guards never seemed to venture far into the barracks. One evening when Corey had arrived at the barracks, Betsy's eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, Corey told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in this big room, Betsy said, referring to the part of the barracks where the sleeping platforms were. Well, I found out. This afternoon, there was confusion in my knitting group about sock sizes, so we asked the supervisor to come and settle it, but she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not see the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed. She could not keep the triumph from her voice as she exclaimed, because of the fleas. That's what she said. This place is crawling with fleas. Corey's mind raced back to the first hour in the barracks. She remembered Betsy bowing her head, and thanking God for creatures that Corey could see no use for. That is the kind of crazy, great gratitude that, that begins to set us apart. It begins to speak into our own hearts. And, and we even all ask the question, how could you be thankful in a situation like that? And, and, and so James 1 tells us this. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember this concept of this idea of the struggle and the suffering, that it has an effect in our lives, that it actually has a good effect in our lives, that, 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 that we aren't here in this world and we aren't going to just experience comfort and good times all the time. But you see, James is calling us here to count it joy. And joy is different than happiness. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. And we're either happy or we're not according to our circumstances. But joy is something that transcends our circumstances. We can still have joy when our circumstances are difficult, when life isn't going our way. And when we begin to shift our perspective, which is what James and the Bible is always trying to get us to do, 
to understand that there's a bigger picture to this, that God is at work in these details, that we can find God in the places that we never even thought that he would be. And, and when, we, when we start to recognize that God is at work, even in the struggle, then it changes the struggle. It changes everything about the, about the, about the struggle. It, it begins to, to have us to start to become a people who instead of just want to get out of the frying pan, recognize that maybe as we settle into the struggle that God has something for us there, that he's going to teach us and that he's going to grow us. Colossians 3.16 And 17 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Goes on, Ephesians 5, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as we gather together here and as we sing together, then our hearts and our praise and our worship are to be focused on the gratitude, on the goodness of God, on the things that he's given us. We're, we're really not supposed to be a people who gather to complain to complain about the world around us or what's going on or the politics or anything, that we're actually supposed to be a people who come together encouraging one another in gratitude and thankfulness for what we do have, for how God is blessing us, for, for, for the world around us. And even when we can't really see what's going on or we can't find something to be gracious or to have gratitude about, that we recognize and know that we're serving a God who is doing things that we don't comprehend and that we don't get. But at the end of the day, he's going to be right. And that all things are going to be good through him. You see, uh, Romans 12, 2 is this idea, right? Be, be no longer conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And it goes on to tell us from there that so that you might know the will of God, that which is good, pleasing, and perfect. So we always are a people who want to know the will of God. And God is telling us here, be thankful. And really, in some sense, maybe let that gratitude begin to transform your mind so that then you might know and live in and walk in the will of God for your life. That it starts with, with something just that simple, but it's that simple and it's that incredibly profound in our lives that when we can really walk through our difficulties and we can find something in a day-by-day basis to be grateful for, it's a game changer. It changes everything. It changes the very trajectory of of our lives. And it begins to change the trajectory of other people's lives because people look at you and say, how are you able to do this? And of course, it's not us, but it's God in us. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We talked about this last week a little bit, that, that peace is the product of this. The chaos and, and, and just uh, uh, ingratitude just, just brings chaos, and it blinds us to the blessings that are all around us. It leaves us even unable to see the good things around us. So I want to share a few 
events and things from the Bible here about just some examples to us about gratitude and about living with gratitude when it's really hard to do it. And the first one is in 1 Samuel here, and the backstory to this is there's, there's a, a gentleman named Elkanah, and he, he has a, a wife, Hannah, who's unable to bear children. And, and, and they, they go, and they, they go to the, to, the, to the temple and to the priest, and, and she prays, and she asks God if God would, would intervene in her barrenness and if he would, he would provide her with a child. And she made a promise to God that, that if God would do this, that she would dedicate her son to the Lord all the days of his life. And so taking it up here in, in, in verse 24, it says, and when she had weaned him, so God blessed her with a child, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord for, the child, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is, sent to, he is lent to the Lord. And then it goes on to say, and Hannah prayed and said, my heart exults in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like you, Lord, for there is none besides you there is no rock like our God. And so Hannah almost had every opportunity to be bitter about even having to follow through with her own promise. But in this, she, she just goes before God and she's just thankful for the gift that God has given her. And she shows us and she gives us a lesson that shows us that we're to always remember that the giver is always greater than the gift. That the giver of all good things is this good father who's in heaven. He's the father of lights. And that he gives good gifts. And we're to always remember that it's not the gifts that we seek. It's not the end that way. It's the giver. In Acts verse 27, or after 20, chapter 27, I'm sorry, we see um, Paul. And, and, and Paul is being transported on a ship. He's a prisoner on the ship. And, and there's this huge storm that has come up, and there's this big nor'easter kind of a thing, and it's pushing and it's driving the ship towards the lee shore, and, 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 and everything, they're about to be shipwrecked, and they're afraid, and they're throwing the cargo over. They're, they're doing all of these different things by rights. Paul should have been killed by the Roman uh, guards there um, rather than risk him escaping in the ship, shipwreck. But, but anyway, they, they, they throw all of the things overboard. They prepare themselves for this, and, and Paul... Um, has a, a vision that, that God gives him a, a dream and a, and a vision at one night, and God tells him that, that nobody is going to perish, that the ship is going to be lost and everything is going to be lost, but all of the 276 lives that are aboard this ship are going to make it through it. And so Paul, he says, therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said this, these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and he began to eat. We tend to be a people who want to give thanks when we arrive at the certain thing, when we survive the storm, when we survive the shipwreck. But Paul is giving us a great example here of gratitude and thankfulness in the middle of the storm. This is the place where real gratitude begins. It begins in the middle of the storm, not when we're delivered 
from the storm. We see this also in, in Jesus. This is chapter 15 of Matthew, and, and Jesus is about to feed 4,000 people. And Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven and a few small fish. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish, and after giving thanks, he broke them and started giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. So Jesus began to give, give thanks when there wasn't yet enough. He was giving thanks before there was enough. And, and, and as he did that, it, it just, God multiplied that. He didn't do it at the end when they picked up the, the baskets full. Thank you for doing this. No, he began to give thanks while there still wasn't quite enough. Job, Job's one of the difficult Bible's teachings out there. It's, 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 it's an incredible book, as a matter of fact, and it, it deals with the concept of suffering and struggle in our lives, and, and it doesn't really answer it in the way that we generally think we'd like it to. But basically, the backstory here is that, is that Satan comes, and, and basically, um, God says, what do you think of my righteous guy, Job? He's, uh, among men, he's, he's upright, he's blameless, he's, he's my righteous servant, and and Satan brings this accusation and says, you know what? He only loves you because you bless him. He only serves you because of what you give him, because, because he has so much, because he's the richest man and he's got all of these things. The reason, the only reason that God and, and you and Job have a relationship is because you give him stuff. And so God said, well, okay, you can test it. And he sets the parameters, and he says, but you, 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 you can't touch him. You, you can't touch him. And we see this incredible, just awful day fall on Job, a day that he doesn't ask for and that he doesn't deserve and he doesn't understand. And he loses everything. He loses all of his, his wealth, his, his cattle, his, his donkeys, his camels, all of those kinds of things. He loses all of it, and he loses his family, all of his family except his wife, his, his, all of his children, are killed in this awful uh, accident. And, and, and it says this in Job 1.20, it says that at the end of that, when he was given all of this news of, of everything that he had just lost in his life, it says that Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshiped. He worshiped God in the midst of this, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this pain, despite losing everything. And, and we would hope that for Job that this would be the end, but it's not. In chapter 2, Satan comes back around, and, and Satan comes back before God and says, oh, well, it's only because you didn't let me touch him, skin for skin. Let me touch him. Let me, let me, let me break him and his health, and then he'll curse you. And God's like, okay, but you can't kill him. And so he has this incredible just boils and all of this awful stuff is happening to him. He's just, his, his health is wrecked. He's just sitting down, it says, with a piece of pottery, just scraping the boils and the, and the dead skin off of himself with a pot shirt, it says. And then his wife, even his wife at this point says to him, do you still hold firm to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you are speaking as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we actually accept good from God, but not accept adversity? Despite all this, 
Job did not sin with his lips. And so Job faces this whole awful thing, and he still recognizes that, you know what, in this place that, 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 that there's both adversity and there's blessing that comes in this world. But, but whatever comes, that God is still worthy to receive our worship and our gratitude, even in the really hard times, even in the times where we don't get it and we don't understand. And so, so we step back and we, we, we don't like that story. We don't like what's happening there. But, but there's a reality of what's going on there. For one thing, in, in chapter 25, uh, verse 19, Job makes this declaration. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that one day he will stand upon the earth. And yet though my flesh decays, yet in my flesh, I will see him, I and not another. And so he makes this incredibly profound statement, one of the, the, the oldest book probably from the Bible, this ancient man says, my hope is in the resurrection. My hope is in the Redeemer. My hope is in the Messiah who will come, who will rectify the brokenness of my life, who will redeem it, who will make it okay, who will actually take the pieces and put it back together in a way that I can't understand and I can't get and that he is living not in the hope of the world around him, not in the hope of the things of this world, but in what's to come, in the resurrection of his own body one day even, that he will stand in that place and that he will see God in his flesh. What a picture. What a picture for us. You see, Job challenges us on so many levels with our perspective. One of the ways that we're challenged again is this, if Job is in the presence of God today, do you believe that he is regretful of the circumstances of his life? And I would say no, that he doesn't. Because one thing that Job got to do was Job got to be the guy who answered the question, the question that we all have. What is the nature of the relationship between God and his people? Is it just stuff? Is it just material? And Job got to say, no, it's deeper than that. Was well, it just the physical? Does it just the material in the physical realm? Is that all? No, it's deeper than that. It transcends those things. The nature of the relationship between God and his people is eternal. And it can't be shaken and it can't be broken. That there's a kingdom that can't be shaken. We're going to look at that. And ultimately, as we consider this prospect of Job and the suffering of Job, I think that one of the very amazing things that we have to look at in that book is that what we have to realize is that, yes, he had incredible suffering. He had a very tough time. But God came, and he suffered on our behalf. That God didn't just relegate suffering to us and say, look, it's too bad for you guys. It's really cool up here in heaven, and one of these days you're going to get up here, and then it'll be good. No, this God put boots on and entered into time, space, and history. This God entered into our suffering and identified with us and our suffering, and then he made a way for us to have a relationship between a holy and perfect God. You see, Jesus suffered on a level that no one has ever suffered on. He experienced injustice on a level that no one has ever experienced injustice. There was no more unjust act than the perfect and righteous Son of God being placed on a cross for the sins of the world. That's 
not just, that's unjust from our perspective, right? And, 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 and he suffered not just in his physical death because there's a lot of people that have had really horrible physical deaths and Jesus had one too. But, but I think that the most difficult part of Jesus' death and what separates it from anybody else's was that he basically was separated from the Father, that, that he was cut off that he became the curse. Literally, he became the sin. Every vile sin that human beings have done for all of time was placed on him and his soul. And the father turned his back on him because he had become sin. He had become the curse. And this is the point where Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus experienced aloneness for the only time Nobody here has ever been alone. Now, you've felt alone, but you've never been alone. But Jesus was truly alone, and his suffering was real, and it was deep. And Jesus himself, before he went to the cross, 1 Corinthians says, when he had given thanks, he broke it. This is, he took bread, it says, and When he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus took this bread, knowing that he was going to be betrayed by all of us, right? That that ultimately, that he was going to be placed on a cross, that he was going to be scourged, and he was going to be placed on a Roman cross. And the very first thing that he did as he was facing that on his night before was to give thanks to give thanks to God, to, to make real this thing. And, and then Hebrews 12, 2 tells us this, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what the joy was that was set before him? It was you. It was you. It was the fact that that because of what he was doing, because of, because of the suffering that he was going to endure, because of the hardship that he was going to endure, that he was making a way so that you and I could come before a holy and righteous God. What an amazing thing. What a, what a different perspective. And one that God is calling his people to. One that's, that's the high road. It's the high calling. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire, right? That we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. This one here, it's pretty shakable. Matter of fact, it's getting shook pretty hard, right? It's getting shook so hard that we're finding less and less things that are an actual secure place for us to hold on to in this world. Why? I think it's because God wants us to realize that there's an unshakable kingdom, that there's one that that can't be touched. And that's the place where if we place our hope there, you see, we can live with real peace in this world. Because if your world, everything about your peace and your contentment and all of that is based in the world around us, then this is all temporal and it's all passing away and there's no real way to have peace with it. The only true place of peace is in what ultimate reality is, which ultimate reality is the very presence of God forever from here on out. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, so we do not lose heart. 
Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. There's a bigger picture, and our hope has to be there. And if it's not, if your hope isn't there, then I'm just going to tell you, you're not potentially ready for, for what suffering may come your way. I don't know what's going to come your way. And I sure didn't know what was going to come my way. But I can tell you this, that if I couldn't find things to be grateful in, if I couldn't be thankful in the midst of the storm, in the middle of it, then I'd be crushed. I'd be absolutely broken. I don't know what I would do. I do know what I would do, actually. And it wouldn't be good. But it's gratitude that changes the game in all of this. It's, it's, it's being thankful for the hard things. It's easy to be thankful for the good things. It's hard to be thankful for the things that are difficult. But it's those things where when we do that and we give it over to God and we trust God in that place, that God begins to forge character in our lives that we couldn't have had had we not gone through the struggle. He changes us. He, he makes us empathetic. He helps us to, to grow and to understand and to, and to get a hold of the reality that this life isn't in the things that we tend to get consumed with today, that there's more important things, that there's business about, that, that's about and that's underfoot that we need to be taking care of, that there's, a, that there's an, an attitude of our life that really, that we need to evaluate it and say, do I really live my life out of a place of gratitude or do I live it out of a place of angst? and a feeling of lack, and a feeling like in, I've just been treated unjust. Am I living as, as, as a victor, or am I living as someone who has um, just been put under the foot of the world? Um, so, uh, here we are, Thanksgiving. I just... The, the, the challenge is that we would be a people who would, just, who, who would find the good things in the world around us, that we would meditate and think on those things, that we wouldn't live, you know, there, there's so much bad news out there right now, right? Maybe we should, uh, maybe we should get out of, maybe we should get out of, get our, what do they say? Get, uh, maybe we should get our face in his book, <laughs> out of Facebook and into his book, you know what I mean? Because there's a lot of bad stuff, a lot of bad news out there. But we're called to be a people who live differently, a people who are pretty weird, actually, by the way that we live, a people who challenge and shock the world around us by the gratitude that we have in our lives. So let's pray. Lord, make us grateful. Help us to be more and more and more grateful each and every day. Help us to live um, as people who see the goodness that's all around us, how you've so richly blessed us how you love us and how you've provided for us and how ultimately you gave all on our behalf so that we could have a relationship with you forever and ever and ever. That you give us your greatest promises are actually those that we'll receive when we leave here. That we will exist with you for all time and that you're gonna make all things new and all things good. And so Lord, we wanna just live though 
Like that's our hope today. We're asking, Lord, that you would rescue us from being negative, from living in the, the ways and the systems of the world, for allowing ourselves, forgive us, God, for allowing ourselves to just be so caught up in that that we can't even see the blessing around us and we can't lead our neighbors to the blessing of you. Help us, Lord, to, to not be so caught up in, in, in the politics. Help us to realize that there will be no political savior in this deal, but that you, Lord, you make a difference in this world and you make it in our hearts when we begin to live out your will by living in gratitude, that we begin to look different to the world around us and we begin to have a platform to speak about the good things of you. When people say, how can you be that way? Lord, may we be quick to say, it's not us, it's, it's Jesus. It's his life in us. It's his life-giving word through us. It's how he's changed our lives. It's how he's renewed our minds. So Lord, we just pray that you would receive all the glory and all the goodness, and we ask it in your name. Amen.